0: Thank you for downloading The Pursuit Podcast. For more information on The Pursuit, visit thepursuitsoco.com. Well good, we are gonna spend some time this morning. I would encourage you to get out a piece of paper. Um, If you have one, we are gonna drop bombs all morning. Um, There's gonna be something offensive for you, I guarantee. Um, And that's gonna be the part you want to write down. Um, I can pretty much say that there is something here for everybody as we go through uh, really three main ideas that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the principle of provision, we're going to talk about the principle of seed, and we are going to talk about the principle of abundance. These are three different but related concepts that are in the scriptures that have to do not only with our money but actually much more than that. Um, If your working definition of abundance is to be rich, I am going to break your little world. Um, I am probably not the richest person in this room. There's probably someone here who has a higher net worth than I do. And this is not about that. I can guarantee you that abundance includes all kinds of material riches, but that's not actually even the point. So let's get into this together. What I'm not going to do is take you through every stage of the journey. I don't have time. We would be here a while because I've actually written a 300-page book about this topic. So we can't do all that. You'll hear bits and pieces from me over the coming weeks. My goal today is to kind of outline some things so that when I do these little talks in the coming weeks, they will have a place to land, a foundation on which to set. Good? Good. Okay, well, I will tell you a little bit about the journey um, in this way. One of the fun books of the Bible is the book of Job because it has the strangest introduction ever. Basically, God is talking with one of his angels, and we get to hear the conversation of him talking with Satan. And they have this little conversation. So I'm going to take you to a different conversation that might have happened, oh, around 48 and a half years ago. God talked to one of his angels and said, see that kid about to be born? Yeah, well, watch this, I'm gonna make him brilliant. and I'm gonna make him super musically sensitive. But here's the deal, I'm not gonna give him any traditional music training, because I have something special that I wanna do through him and he can't be colored by that. And Dan's like, okay. So that happened. Now about seven, he, so he left the kid alone. He didn't get normal music training. He didn't get to go to music school or take lessons or any of those things. he was 17 years old and then God arranged for him all in like the space of a couple of weeks to be given piano lessons to start taking lessons with a composer and gave him a mint condition grand piano like all at once so then what happened to the kid well the kid because of other things that had maybe gone on in his life believed he was actually alone We might call in this circle that an orphan spirit, that you're all alone, that there's no one with you, and if if something's going to happen, you have to do it yourself. And also a good bit of poverty spirit, which says there's never going to be enough. Like, man, if, if you did that, like it would never work. It could never be enough. And so what did the kid do? Well, the kid decided to run off to the Air Force and leave all of that behind. And what happened on this diagram is... A kid went straight from basic training, from God giving an offer of provision, of saying, here, this is for you. What will you do with it? What the kid did was said, no thanks, you can't be trusted, I got this, I'm all alone, and if I don't do it, no one will be able to do it, so I'm just going to go and do my thing. And so I went straight into that little circle that's called immature disobedience, which the Israelites understood as wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And I was having such a good time there that I stayed for 14 years. Not having a good time and not actually being abundant and not actually having any of the success or learning any of the things that I was supposed to learn or being any of the person that I was supposed to be. Now, wasn't that lovely? It was not. And I would submit to you that probably most people in this room are struggling somewhere in either the basic training of God's provision or are actually circling in the desert somewhere, wondering how on earth it stops being the same. And why is it the same? And why doesn't it progress? And why don't the prophetic words actually come true? And so this morning, we're actually going to go through the the three things at the bottom of this slide. Provision, seed, and abundance. These are the training grounds for abundance. These are the ways that we'll use to talk about some of the tests and the things that we need to pass in order to make real progress on that journey, more about the journey at a different point. So let's get started. And I'm going to talk to you about the principle of provision first, which is routine supply measured to our needs. That's the definition. Routine supply measured to our needs. And there's a couple of really important words in here. Number one, it's routine. Number two, it's measured. And number three, it's about needs. All of those words are important if you want to understand provision. So here are the characteristics of provision. First, provision is measured according to our daily need. From Matthew chapter six, 26 through 34. I will read it to you. If you need the address, that's what it is. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O men of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? The Gentiles seek these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. You need them all. Yes, you do. Me too. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Psalm thirty-seven 25, I've been young and am now old and yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging bread. It's daily provision. That's when it comes. It can come each day. Each day can have fresh provision in it. So it is measured according to daily need. Thing number two that's a characteristic of provision, kingdom citizens should expect it. It is a right of the kingdom. Like you have the right to get a driver's license or a passport. It's that kind of right in the kingdom of heaven. Provision is part of the deal. It's part of joining up. Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Don't bargain with God. Don't do it. Be direct. Ask for what you need. This isn't a cat and mouse hide and seek game we're in. If your child asks for bread, do you trick him with sawdust? If he asks for fish, do you scare him with a live snake on his plate? As bad as you are, you wouldn't think of such a thing. You're at least decent to your own children, so don't you think that God who conceived you in love is even better? It's safe to expect provision in the kingdom. It's Just part of it, by the way, this is in red letters if you've got one of the red letter Bibles, This is actually Jesus saying this. Um, It's it's direct from the man. It's trustworthy. Here's the interesting thing. Provision is much more than just money. I know you can't read the small text behind me, but look, here's some of the things that people have gotten provision for. People have gotten out of prison. They've gotten children back from the dead. Peter got money from taxes out of a fish. Lunch for 5,000 people at a church seminar. Calming storms were um, happened. Um, special food to keep a special diet for Daniel and his friends. They got special food. That was the provision that they got. Um, people have been safe while they've been persecuted. Um, they didn't get food when they're running away from their call, like Elisha. He was all kind of hangry, and God fed him in the wilderness with raisins. He was running away from his call, and God still provided for him. Wine for a wedding after party. Well, you can get almost anything. Like... If any of you are familiar with the Harry Potter series, there's a bunch of kids that are at school at a magical university, and one of the rooms that's there is called the Room of Requirement. And it's not on any maps and it's not on any floor plan, but if you are in desperate need, the room will appear to you. And inside the Room of Requirement will be whatever you need in that moment. And it's called the Room of Requirement. And provision's a little bit like that. Whatever you need, that can be something that you are provided. So. The other interesting thing about provision, um, thing next, it is always good for us and it is always enough. Always good for us and always enough. The manna fed two to three million people for 40 years. Pretty effective, pretty enough. Matthew 7, 11, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give what kind of things? Good things, that's right, good things to those who ask him. My personal story about this, when we first moved to California, it was right as the housing market was crashing in 2007. And so we had a house for sale in New Jersey that someone had agreed to buy. We bought a house out here on one of those temporary high interest loans where you're supposed to change them out like right away as soon as the other house sells. Well, yeah, but the whole market tanked and the house in New Jersey, it had an underground oil storage tank It leaked. My front yard was now a Superfund site, literally. They had to take all of the dirt, dig it out, send it to a place to get cleaned. They clean your dirt, yes, they do. And then they take the dirt and put it back. Can you get different dirt? You cannot, by law, the the clean dirt has to go back in your hole, in your front yard. And so all of this delays the closing by almost six months. And we are just annihilated financially. Um, Like, I don't even know how we made it through that time, honest to goodness. And uh, we're coming up to Christmas, I have seven children at the time, and we're about two weeks in front of Christmas, and Laura says to me, well, what are you thinking about Christmas for the kids? And my heart just sank like a stone, because like, we, I was barely putting food on the table. Like, it was crazy, crazy tight. And I didn't have an answer, so I did what any intelligent person would do. And I said, well, I don't know. What are you thinking? <laughs> and she said, well, I was thinking it'd be really cool if we did a family gift this year, like a Wii or something like that, a PlayStation, that all the kids could enjoy. And I was like, oh, dang. Dang. Like that's gonna be five or 600 bucks like minimum because like you gotta buy the game, the controllers, like the actual unit, like, there's, like it's not just the thing, right? It's not, you, you gotta like do the thing. And I was like, I have no idea how to do that. And I, like it was about a week And this is just like churning inside me because, like, I got nothing for my kids for Christmas. And I grew up in a family that didn't always have. And I was one of the things I promised myself is that my family would not be that way. I was going to work hard enough and make enough money and be successful enough that that would never happen. And my family would only know plenty and abundance. And here I am, like, like, jamming the plane right into the ground. Well, after church, the week before, Um, Christmas was going to be midweek, the Sunday before. Um, A couple stopped us at the church we were going to and said, hey, you've been on our minds. Um, We want to do something to bless your family for Christmas. Would that be okay? I'm thinking, you have no idea how okay that would be. And um, I said, well, sure, what are you thinking? And he said, well, we were thinking that your family could use a we. And so... They gave me an envelope, and they said, we put in enough so that you, can, you have a big family, so there's extra controllers and extra games in there. And so I had all the money to buy a Nintendo, to buy all the, like a whole slew of games and extra controllers for my big family, and do you know, that was like 15 years ago, that Wii still works. My kids still play it. It's like 480p, it's not HD, it's not 4K, but it's still played. Why? Because it's always good and it's always enough. Always good and always enough, even for Nintendos for kids, when dad can't make it happen. Okay, now here's an interesting one that'll throw some of you for a loop. One of the other things about provision is that it is temporary and ends when we don't need it what no you're kidding no I'm serious it's temporary and ends when we don't need it think about the manna hmm Joshua 512 and the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan this year isn't that interesting You mean that God treats us like you treat your kids? Maybe. Like those of you that have 28, 26-year-old kids, are you still paying all of their freight? No, why? They don't need it. Provision is based on need. Now, will you be able to access provision even if you're worth millions of dollars? Of course, because you may need other things. But the things that you can provide, that God has given you the ability to provide for yourself, he doesn't need to give you provision for that thing. So he doesn't. Okay? So that's also something. It's temporary. Here's the other thing that you may not realize is that provision is always a test. What? God gives tests? It only gets worse. Here's the deal. What's the test of provision? Exodus 16, 4 through 8. Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. Cool. And the people will go out and gather a day's portion every day. Doesn't sound hard. That I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. What? On the sixth day, when they go in, it will be twice as much. So Moses and Aaron said to all of the people at evening, you will know that it was who? The Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord. So, here we have a test. And what is the test of provision? The test of provision is these three things. First, is God acceptable as a provider? This was the very first thing that I failed with, the music thing a long time ago when I was 17. Is God acceptable as a provider? I didn't even recognize that he was behind a shred of it. I thought my grandfather gave me the piano for no reason at all. I couldn't see it, I totally failed this first test. Is God acceptable as a provider? Second, do you look to God yourself or an authority for provision? Who do you look for when you need something? Where do you look? Where did I look? I looked to myself. I failed this one. Oh, this is bad. Nathaniel's failing tests. The valedictorian is failing tests. Yes, it's true. (laughs) Do you look to God or authority? And then the main point of provision is this. If God provides for your needs, will you then be able to trust him for more? In other words, he's making a relational offer. What's the relational offer? Here's something you need. If that happens over and over again, do you actually develop trust? Do you come to actually say, oh, he hasn't screwed me yet. Like I can like probably see to something greater. And so that is the actual test of provision. These three things. Is God acceptable as a provider? Is he the one you look to? as the provider and number three having some provision can you then trust him for more okay so if you need some provision does anybody here need something yeah. maybe maybe not some people will say they need something i need some things okay here's the a The a hint you got to do something he can know that you have a need but there's something you have to do what's the thing you have to do Luke 11:19 19 gives the key to unlock provision. That's the address if you need to know. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it'll be opened. So if you need money or basic things for your life, food, shelter, clothing, bills, this kind of thing, you need to ask so you can Receive, okay, that's simple. What if you need wisdom or knowledge? You don't know how to do something, you're, um, you're not sure what the right decision is, the right way to go about doing something. What do you need then? You need wisdom or knowledge, so what do you do? You seek and you will find. Do you ask? No, you seek, seek. You get a book, you watch a YouTube, you phone a friend you seek the thing that you need yep. that is how you access provision for wisdom knowledge items okay what if you need to meet a certain person or you need an opportunity for your business or for your income stream or for your kids or you need an opportunity for health care you need an opportunity for ministry you need an opportunity to expand or do something, how does that work? You have to knock. Do you ask? No, you have to get off your butt, dial the phone, and knock. Or go see, try the person, send the email, reach out in a DM on social media. If that's what you need, is connection and opportunity, you have to knock. Do you ask? No what do you do? Knock. knock. Okay. So that will be helpful to somebody. That is a huge unlock for somebody in this room that they need to actually just go knock. And then the, then the provision will appear. Because if you've been asking for something you should be knocking for, it doesn't work. Okay? Okay. Good deal. All right. So we have talked a little bit about provision. The next one I'm going to introduce you to is the principle of seed. Seed is super important because now I'm talking about your money. Uh Uh-oh. What are we going to do with talking about money? Well, we are going to talk about this thing. Seed, this is the definition. Write it down. Assets and labor invested for a future return. So this has everything to do with your money and most things to do with actually talking about abundance and understanding abundance, okay? So here's the thing. There are two principles that together explain your money, the principle of seed and the principle of bread. And here is how they work out in your life. Seed is this, it is assets and labor invested for a future return. Assets and labor, I'm not an accountant. Help me, Nathaniel, what do you mean? I mean this, time, education, skills, abilities, your relationships, the people that you know, the things that you own, your income, your savings and investments. And work. and work, yes. All the things you have in your hand. If it's under your control, it's an asset, okay? So if you have craft supplies, they're an asset. If you have electronic painting equipment, that's an asset. Right? it's something that you have in your hands that you control so these are the things that are seed what about bread bread is assets and labor used for living so if i take some of the money from my job and i go buy food for my family that is bread pay the mortgage bread buy a car bread if i use it up it's bread if i plant it somewhere so it can make more that is seed okay you got it that it's that simple in the Bible your money is this simple it's either seed or it's bread who decides where the slider is between seed and bread you do yes yes actually God doesn't I'm sorry it's actually you you decide how much of the money that comes into your checking account every month whether it comes from the government Whether it comes from your business, whether it comes from a friend, whatever, wherever the source of that money is, that's the seed that comes into your life. And the division between seed and bread will control all kinds of things, as we are about to see in just a moment. So, seed actually builds on top of the principle of provision. How unsurprising. In provision, we say, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to figure out that God is good, and I can trust him. In seed, we're expected to believe that God is good enough that I can work and wait a while before I receive. That is planting, is it not? Seed in the ground, water, sunshine, months later, cucumbers, zucchini, whatever it is, right? Too much zucchini. zucchini. You gotta be careful planting (laughs) zucchini. Okay, provision. I ask, God does all the work, right? ask, receive. All I do is ask. I say, I have need. I knock. I do whatever. What happens in seed? I work. I have to plant. But God works. Who waters and gives the increase? God does. So there's a part that I do and there's a part that God does. And this is like a co-laboring arrangement where it's like we're almost like partners. Like I do a thing, you do a thing. So there's a little bit more relationship here, isn't there? Like it's gone from me being a supplicant and just asking, to me actually saying, I'll do this. And he says, well, I'll do this. That's like having a good business partner, okay? So the difference is expectant receiving, I expect to receive, versus expectant working. I do the work and I expect to have some kind of an outcome happen. Like because I planted zucchini, what do I expect to get, apples? No, I expect to get zucchini. And then I expect to give them away in paper bags at church. Um, provision provision now or provision later right like seed is provision later plant in the spring harvest in the fall start a business now profit in three to five years right okay so that's how seed builds on top of provision this bit about the deferred reward is actually built in to the mechanics of the universe It is a principle that is as reliable as the sunshine. In Genesis chapter 1, seed is created before man. It's that foundational. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will Never never cease. Never cease. It's built into the mechanics of the universe, this principle of sow and reap. Ecclesiastes 3 2 there is a time for everything a season for every activity under the heavens a time to be born a time to die a time to plant and a time to harvest turn turn yeah that yeah I know it's in your head too but seed is a deferred reward but it's built into everything that God waters and gives the increase if we do our part which is to Plant the seed, which is maybe different than working, but it often involves work. You're not wrong, but there's more. Okay, so this other thing is fundamental. Seed is the fundamental kingdom economic model. Like the US works off of a financial system administered by the Federal Reserve, yes? Whether you like it or not, I'm not making political statements. But that is how our money works, yes? There's a Federal Reserve, a U.S. Treasury. They do the things they do. That is how our money works. How does money work in the kingdom of heaven? Seed. Seed is the currency of the kingdom of heaven. Okay. So, here are the models that the Bible gives us for handling seed. In Kings 4.25, throughout the days of Solomon, Judah, and Israel, Israel lived in safely, safety, From Dan to Beersheba, each man under his own vine and under his own fig tree. Wasn't that nice? Do you wish to own a vine and a fig tree? I mean, if you did, here in Sonoma County, the land would probably be worth several million dollars at least anyway, judging from the kinds of properties that have vines and fig trees and olive trees on them. But Micah 4.4 says the same thing. Everyone will sit under their own vine and their own fig tree. Did God want to give Israel a king? He did not. What was his, who wanted to be king? God wanted to be king, and what did he want? He wanted a bunch of people who were self-sufficient in a way who were wise, who were powerful, who were wealthy, who were in control of resources and assets that suited them and would bless the world, okay? That's the picture of every person sitting under their own vine and under their own fig tree. They have sources of income that are right for them, that let them live in a great way, okay? It's an agricultural society back then, so the metaphors are all agrarian. And whether that works for you or not, it transfers pretty well into independent people. If you ask most people, what do you want with your money? They say, I would like to be financially independent. There's the word, yes. That is what people want funny. That's what the kingdom wants too. There are two primary parables about money that are actually said in the red letters by Jesus himself. They are in Matthew 25 and Luke 19. They're super similar, on the, uh, like in their purpose. The details are slightly different. In Matthew 25, there's three servants. They're given different amounts of gold and they have different results from the gold. In Luke 19, there's 10 servants. They're all given the same amount of money and the results are still different. So I want you to go, if you're the turn, turning there kind of a person, to Luke 19, uh, 12 through 26. It's small, but I will read the story to you with enthusiasm. <laughs> All right, here it is. A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then return. Good gig. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas. How much is mina? I don't know. Million dollars, $10, it doesn't matter. But he gives him ten minus put this money to work he said until I come back but his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say we don't want this man to be our king but he was made King however and he did return home and then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what what they had gained with it important word the first one came and said sir your mina has earned 10 more well done my good servant his master replied because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter take charge of 10 cities in this new kingdom that i have just been given holy cow the second one came and said sir your mina has earned five more His master answered, take charge of five cities. Then another servant of the ten came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away, hidden safe in this piece of cloth. Here it is back for you. Because I was afraid of you, you big, mean king you. Because you are a hard man, you take out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. And his master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. Uh Uh-oh. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so when I came back I could have at least collected it on interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the guy with ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten, and ten cities. He replied, I tell you, that to everyone who has, more will be given. But, as for the one who has nothing, even that will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here in front of me and kill them. Who tells this story? Jesus. Yeah, this is red letter. This is Jesus. This is Jesus telling the story. The one in Luke is almost identical. The numbers are slightly different. Okay. So what do you think about that? Is anybody offended? People then were. People then were. Oh, you think that. You think that. I'm not so sure. So what do we learn from this story? I put it in a table for you because that made it easier for my brain to wrap, wrap around it. Table people rejoice. We have three servants. What did they start with? They all started with one mina. What did they end with? And you can see it. Ten, 5, and one. And then what's the outcome and the end of it? Well, the outcome is that servant number one has ten cities and eleven minas. Right? The next guy has five cities and five minas, whatever the heck those are. And servant number three has... No minus. no minus, no minus. So I think what you would notice is the disproportionality of the result. Like whatever a mina is, if you had 10 cities, like how much more is that than 10 currencies? Like would you rather have 10 cities or $10 million? I'd take the 10 cities because you would definitely get the $10 million if you own 10 cities. Know what I mean? So that's why I say like the amount doesn't matter of what a mina is. The important thing in this story is the complete and utter disproportionality of the obedience to the reward. Make sense? Okay. So there's some other things that you should notice. Different citizens have different abilities. Did they all perform the same, given the same mina? No. No. Were they capable of it? No. Was this fair? No. I'll say it for you. Were there winners and losers? Do you think that there are winners and losers in the kingdom of heaven? Yes. Are there people going to a greater reward and a lesser reward? Yes. Actually. Okay. Here's the deal. The kingdom expects two to ten times multiplication of all assets entrusted to us in the between these two stories in the story that's in matthew that we didn't read the servants are okay so long as they doubled the money okay and this one they're okay the only one we know is the guy who did five times and the guy who did ten at the upper end so between these two stories we have a range of doubling to ten times the money that's acceptable good servant stewardship if you just give god back The asset that he gave you, what do you get called? A wicked servant. Now, was the guy thrown out of the kingdom? No. He was saved yet so as through fire, to take a different scripture. Not thrown out of the kingdom, but was he entrusted with more resources? No. What happened to the resource that he had? Taken away why he didn't steward well that's right because it's a kingdom there is a domain of the king there is land there are resources and assets and if they're not managed well what will happen to the kingdom it will collapse and fall into ruin and decay the god who made the entire universe as we know it do you think he's very interested in that Apparently not, judging from how spectacular the heavens are, how crazy the earth is. And there's 140,000 kinds of beetles, I'll have you know. Like, he cares a, a ridiculous amount about his creation. And he's looking for people to partner with him to steward the kingdom resources. So those who will go along with the economic principles of the kingdom, what happens for them? They receive dominion. You obey in money, you are given dominion, exponentially. That's crazy. This is the rules. I'm just telling you the rules. Okay, if you fail to multiply seed, it means that the seed is removed and you lose trust of the king. It's getting quieter. Seed goes to the best seed managers preferentially. What happened to the guy with 10 mind who turned one into 10? The king's like, dude, give him more. Why? He's better at it. <laughs> okay. And then faithfulness with money leads to exponential dominion rewards. Do you believe that's true? Okay. This is a hard principle, isn't it? Like, what's the expectation? Multiple. Try two to 10 times. That's the grading scale. The grading scale is two to 10 times multiplication. Okay? All right. Someone's got to want to know. Why? That's hard. I don't like it. Can't it be different? This isn't a works gospel, is it? why all right for all the three-year-olds in the room this is why first seed is a tool of dominion and this is a foundational thing if you want to write something down write some of this down number one seed establishes the value of land the bible was written in an agrarian society if you own a field how much is the worth of the field it was literally measured in how much seed you could plant in the field because doesn't that determine its economic outcome if I plant the field with wheat and it's so big and has so much good soil then we can calculate with simple math what the economic value of the field is it's actually the value of the harvest right well it's funny that very thought is in the book Leviticus 27 16 if a man dedicates to the Lord part of the land that is in his possession so he's going to give it to the priests as a gift to say dude this is for you then the valuation will be what in proportion to the seed okay is there a sense in which your life is a land yes if you go buy a website domain as land how valuable is that website domain How much seed can you put on it productively? If all you put is a little gift machine on there, it is not going to be as valuable as Amazon.com. Right? Like the amount of seed that has been fruitful in Amazon.com, trillion dollars worth. Right? Okay. Here's the other thing. Seed controls society's and countries. That's what seed does. Seed controls society and countries. Genesis 41 Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream, he's pulled out of the prison, and he's made the chief operating officer of Egypt. He runs the whole show, except he's just not CEO, to use modern terms, right? What does Joseph do? He takes a fifth of the grain, which is seed. And he stores it for seven abundant years. They have a famine. Joseph uses all the seed that he gathered. So he gathered more, like seven years of famine. He took a fifth. So he had more than enough when the famine hit, right? What's he do? Well, in Genesis 47, Joseph bought all the land in Egypt. Then what did he do? He bought all the people. He bought all the livestock. He bought all the gold land and he got almost all of the gold of the surrounding nations because he had seed mm. and he got 20% of all harvests in perpetuity for Pharaoh you want to know how those pyramids got built and stuff with gold I do somebody knew how to manage seed seed is literally a tool of dominion it's used to control societies and countries Does anybody believe that billionaires have an undue influence in our society? Oh, the room does believe that. What are they good at doing? Managing seed. Do they take assets and invest them for a return? Yes. Does that give them power in the society that we live in? It does, doesn't it? Why? Is this a principle of the universe like gravity is on kind of thing? Yes. This is like gravity is on. Seed is on. If you can multiply and use seed, it is a tool to control societies and countries. It is a tool to value the land that you own. The land being more than physical dirt, but including websites and tools and your friendships and your relationships and your businesses and all these things, okay? So here's the deal. This is the other thing about seed. Multiplying seed is a prerequisite for abundance. It's not optional. If you think that you can have abundance and skate on multiplying assets, it just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And here to tell you that offensive bit of news is Jesus himself. (laughs) Luke 16, 10 through 12. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. Oh, well, So far so easy. That does not sound so bad. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, Who will give you that which is your own? Mm -hmm. Who wants Jesus to give you that which is your own? Mm -hmm. Me. You mean if I don't handle my money well, I don't get what God has for me. That is what Jesus says. Actually. So here's the uncomfortable truth. If we can't demonstrate two to ten times returns on our assets and labor, we are not ready to handle abundance, occupy ground, or establish kingdom dominion. (laughs) What's the first instruction to man given in the book? All the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, and have dominion over what? all the stuff that God made on this planet. Okay, so do we now understand what it takes to do the job we as humans were put here to do? Yes, we have to learn to multiply seed. Now, do our school systems tell you how to do that? No, they don't. Do our churches tell you how to do that? Not historically, are we gonna? We're gonna, because we're that kind of people. But it's interesting, isn't it? Like if you don't know how the game is played, it's pretty darn hard to win. Now you know how the game is played. That makes winning possible, okay? Okay, so this. Have you ever wondered why prophetic words always talk about impact, changing things, opening doors, shining a light in a dark place, making the world a better place, transforming something? Isn't this how they always sound? Yeah, but I have another question for you. Why do prophetic words always seem to imply, and then a miracle occurs, as the next step. Have you ever gotten your prophetic word and thought to yourself, well, that'll take a miracle? I have. It's super common for the prophetic word to have almost no relation to your present ability to execute it, yes? And then that miracle never seems to occur. Anybody experience that bit of frustration and cognitive dissonance? What is going on? This. The king assumes that you are going to take dominion. And all those prophetic words, they're actually easy and obvious if you occupy the right land and know how to multiply seed. So, does it surprise you that prophetic words assume that you are actively moving into the abundant life that Jesus promised. What if God actually heard all of your prayers, wanting more, everyone, all the whining, all the fetching, all the moaning, and he is just waiting for you to sow seed into the land and establish dominion? Ouch. That seed. Let's turn our attention now. I'm going to talk to you for a couple minutes about abundance to give you a picture of what it's about and why you might want to be a part of the journey to abundance. I will tell you, if all you want is to be rich, if you can multiply seed, you can be as rich as you want to be. Making millions of dollars is not hard if you know how to multiply seed. It just takes a while. But it is inevitable. I give you two and you make it four and then you make it eight you make it 16 32 64 eventually you will get there right yep. so here's the thing this is abundance abundance is resource without measure to excite the heart of God there's really important words here without measure well that sounds good why why to excite the heart of God. To give you a big house? No. Although you can have one. It's not a big deal. He's building mansions in heaven for you. Big houses aren't a thing. They're, they're not expensive. But there's a purpose. The purpose is to excite the heart of God. Here it is. And what excites the heart of God, you might ask? Well, Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians 9, 8-11. God can pour on the blessings in astonishing ways so that you're ready for anything and everything. More than just ready to do what needs to be done. As one psalmist puts it, he throws caution to the wind, giving to the needy in reckless abandon. His right living, right giving ways never run out, never wear out. This most generous God who gives seed, to the farmer that becomes bread for your meals is more than extravagant with you. Why? He gives you something you can then give away. What happens then? Which grows into full-formed lives, robust in God, wealthy in every way, so that you can be generous in every way, producing with us great praise to God. Why abundance? What's his fundamental character? Ridiculous generosity. He made this whole world, skipped across. The whole natural world, the whole universe that we don't even know the extent of it. He's ridiculously extravagant. 140,000 kinds of beetles, that one always does it for me. That's a lot of freaking beetles. Like you'd think 30,000 would be enough or 37. But no, there was a need for more. Extravagant. Extravagant. Okay, so here's the thing. Here's God's not at all evil and not really very secret plan for world dominion. Luke 12, 32, Jesus is talking. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. That's his plan. His plan is hey, are you in the kingdom? Here, it's yours. Here's all the keys. All the stuff I have, it's yours. He really is the good father and the prodigal son. He's like, no, everything I have is yours. That's his plan. And then in parentheses, and then you give it away as freely as you received it. So if he makes somebody to be a musician, what do they give away? Music. If you make someone to be a painter, what do they give away? Art. He makes somebody to be a preschool teacher, what do they give away? Education and love. We, give, we get what we get, and then we give it away. Why, because we have way more than we need. That's abundance. Hmm. Now, here's the thing. So why is abundance actually important to occupying land and taking dominion? It's this. Land costs money to obtain. How about free education? K-12. through 12. Somebody pays for it with property taxes, though. How about college and certifications and professional appointments? Do they cost money? They do. That land of a degree costs money and time. What if you actually want to buy land? Is there any like free land to just claim in the state of California? No. All the land in California is claimed by somebody. Could be the government, could be a private company, it could be a homeowner, but all the land in California is taken. If you want physical land in California, what do you have to do? Pay. A lot. lot. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the deal. The land is occupied already. You want to do something to change the world for God? What are you going to find about the land that you're supposed to sit on? Someone else is sitting there. Some other organization already owns that land they're getting the web traffic they have the social media followers they have the market share they have the viewership numbers on national television somebody has them and it's not you so if the land is going to have to be purchased bought into or accessed what's somebody going to need abundance someone's going to need to have enough money to do whatever the crazy thing is that God has assigned for you to do that you can't possibly afford to do. True? Okay. Land also costs money not just to obtain, but to maintain. Like it's not enough to just get the land and scrape your way onto it. Has anybody ever bought too much house? And then like you can barely make the payments and you can't afford the furniture for it and like your cars are running down and you're like, yeah, it's it's scary, it's not fun been there. Land costs money to maintain, and dominion requires excess cash flow above all land and lifestyle costs. In other words, if I'm going to overflow out of the treasures of my heart and my house and my pocketbook, that means that all of my spending has to be accounted for, and I have extra, right? It comes out of the overflow. It doesn't come out of my kids' lunch, right? This diagram is going to set some people free. Abundance is fundamentally the thing that enables dominion in the kingdom. What we are supposed to do is we are supposed to take seed. What seed? Things we have in our hands. Skills, talents, abilities, things he's given us. And what do we do? We put some seed into that land. We fund the crazy dream that he's given us. The thing that we won't admit that's going to be a business that's a goofy hobby we put money in that why because then it makes a little bit more of whatever it is seed reproduces after its kind give elijah guitar you get worship songs like it reproduces after its kind so what happens is in the beginning we have to spend most of the thing that comes back as bread yes When you're in your first part of your career, the world is impossibly expensive. People own houses worth hundreds of thousands of dollars and you can barely afford to go to McDonald's. And you don't even know how it's possible. But you take some of the seed and at first you're buying mostly bread. But if you keep seeding, eventually you can purchase land. What's land? Land or business assets. Lands are things that you intend to make more money with. Education. You're sowing now for a degree and then better jobs later. You can sow into your career. You can go to professional seminars. You can gain new certifications and skills. Right? You're basically putting seed into developing more land. And the more land you have, the more seed it can take, and it starts to make a wedge. Yes, it gets bigger over time. And then what happens? At some point, do your need for bread go up indefinitely? Who in here actually has to have a Gulfstream 5 jet? Like, has to. There could be someone. But most people, like you, laugh. Why? Because you totally don't need that. Like you'd take it if I gave it to you for free and all the money to to run it, Um, but you don't actually need it. How many people need a 30,000 square foot home that costs $50 million? Not many. Are there people who that's a legitimate thing that they would need for the entertaining and the thing that they do? Maybe. But maybe that's no one in the room. I don't know. But the thing is, for everybody, there's only so much bread you can take and eat. Like your lifestyle, at some point, you're pretty happy. So what do you do? Do you just stop and kick back? No, the whole point is is that bread isn't supposed to increase indefinitely. So whether you need big house and yachts and all those things for your bread or not, I don't really care. The thing is this. If you keep sowing seed, eventually you can buy land. What's land? It's the place that you need to occupy to do the thing that God has called you to do. The scary thing, the thing you won't tell me or admit is true, but that you talk to God about on the third night of a big seminar when the worship band is really good. The thing that you're desperately afraid of but want more than anything else. That thing, that's the land. And I know you can't afford it. You weren't supposed to. God was hoping that you would partner with him and do it together, And so he put it just out of reach. So the only way you can do it is by working together with him. He's a relationship junkie. (laughs) and He just so wants to do it with you. And the thing is, eventually, if you keep sowing in and you keep buying land, what happens when you have all of the land you need to be you? You keep sowing seed into the land, what happens? It keeps producing things because it's good soil, what is good soil in the kingdom? 30, 60, 100-fold returns. How do you access that? Seed into good soil. And then you get explosive, abundant returns. There is nowhere in the market you're getting 30, 60, 100-fold returns right now. If you can get 3% on ret- returned capital on a regular basis, that's about as good as you can get risk-free right now in the markets. 30, 60, 100 times into good soil. Do you get it? That's dominion capital. That's the stuff that changes the world. You've been pouring money into your thing, and then what happens? It produces more than you need, so you go and buy a well for $5,000 for a village in Africa. That is the point. Dominion capital to change the world in the way that you're called to do. Living in abundance is ultimately being like our Father. It's being like Jesus. He is abundant and generous. Heaven has enough abundance for everyone to get theirs. When he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's impossible without abundance. Does that make sense? Like he lives in impossible abundance and that's why heaven is the way it is. So if it was going to be that way on earth, what's the implication? It would have to be that way here. Hmm. And it is impossible for that to happen without us actually taking on his character and his heart. And he literally wants to cut us in on the family business. Like his business is changing the world to be a better place. That's his business, that is actually the redemption. What gets redeemed? Everything. Don't have time to turn there, but literally, when we all do what we're supposed to, it changes the actual creation. The animals, the rocks, and the trees all appreciate it when we get whole, right? That's his plan, and it's this. Can you solve that picture? Happens to be a slum somewhere in India. Probably a thousand or more people living in there. Some of the slums are up to a million people. Can you solve it? What kind of a problem is that? It's all kind of problem. Is it a spiritual problem? Probably. Is it an economic problem? For sure. Is it an education problem? Most definitely. It looks like it's a sanitation problem for sure. How do you solve that problem? Can you see? that abundance is the solution? Does that place need a Proverbs 31 woman? Someone who opens her arms to the poor and stretches forth her hands to the needy? I think it could use a few. See, the deal is God's heart is for people, not for possessions. He ultimately doesn't care how much you have because he's just not about it. He's got a whole universe. Like, if he needs stuff, he's got stuff. So if we dream his dreams and excite his passion, how will you know that's true? Other people are better off. That's how you know. If only you're better off, you're not dreaming his dream yet. You need to think bigger. This is truly compassionate capitalism. It is not trickle-down economics. If you want a book on this subject, there is a book called Compassionate Capitalism by a guy named Rich DeVos. He's no longer with us. It's fantastic. But it's purposeful raising people up. It's purposeful lifting people up. And all of this relates very strongly to what Jesus, what I call the least of these mandate. To the extent that you did it to the least of these, you did it to me, says Jesus. Right? So, we come now, as we land the plane to see the actual progression of how these three principles interlock together as a journey or a path towards abundance. In provision, we say God is good and I trust him. In seed, we say I trust enough to work and wait. But when we get to abundance, God trusts me with the kingdom wealth. I get to control and administer the kingdom assets on his behalf. Whoa. Whoa. We go from I ask and God does the work to I work and God works to explosive 30, 60, 100-fold harvests where it's just nuts. You can't contain it. We go from expectant receiving, dear God, please be nice to me, I have needs, to I'm going to plant this, would you please help me with it, to son. I trust you with the business. Make it grow. Dominion stewardship. We go from provision now to bread later. Like I sow in March, I reap in September. All the way to bread for many. Like it's more than me. It's for other people. And that's the abundant part. And this is why you can be as rich as you want to be and not have any actual abundance in your life because if it's just about you and it's not blessing the wider world, it's not actually abundance. And it is not actually what the kingdom is all about. So I will give you this as we wrap this up. And we'll talk about this in coming weeks in different degrees. Each of us has a kingdom identity. We were put here for a purpose. God told his angels something about you. There's a reason you're here with all of the crazy things you believe and want to see happen in the world. And when you are healthy, you will learn to steward some of the corresponding kingdom resources. Those are the musicians, we get instruments and things like that. Grand pianos are the things that God gives me. (laughs) The light of abundance shines brightly on the full expression of divine identity. I do not understand abundance apart from identity, and relationship those two things and if we apply our attention to the tools and the resources so that it causes value and blessing to go to other people that is the point of the kingdom that is what we're here for is to do that thing so I'm going to leave you with just this as a, th- as a thought exercise Down the left side of this, there's just different amounts of money from $5,000 all the way up to 100 million. They're nice arbitrary figures. But I think you should ask yourself, where does bread end for you? Like what's enough, honestly? Like do you know? It's a good thing to know. And again, I don't really care how much it is. It's not important. Everyone will have a different number and isn't that the way it's supposed to be? It is. Everybody has different needs. When can you buy your land, whatever that means to you? What's your land? What's the land that you need? For some people, it's a monetary land. For other people, it's not. It's a job, it's a being in the right place, it's working in the hospital to be able to bless people. And that's the land, and it doesn't cost money. But it costs training and experience and other things to get there, right? But what is the cost of the land? that you need to occupy what skills will it take for you to occupy that land maybe you need to go to school maybe you need a master's degree I don't know maybe you need mentorship I don't know and the important question is what dominion would you take and this is not about you being in charge of something who wants to be king God wants to be king He didn't leave you to that that, that job. What does he want us to do? He wants us to administer kingdom assets on his behalf for the betterment of the world. So for you, in the crazy thing that he's called you to that makes no sense, but which you still want to have happen anyway, what dominion would you take? What is the dent you would make if you swung your hammer at the universe? What is the dominion you would take from the land? And I would say that that is something that you should talk to God a lot about. We will talk about how to do that in future weeks. Um, But this business of identity and of relationship and partnership to change the world, I don't know, but I think it's really cool. And what do we have to do? We have to trust in his provision. Is he good? If you have not yet come to the place in life where you have an unshakable belief in his goodness, you're not going to be able to believe him for multiplying seed. You need to do that work. And he'll take you through it. If the seed thing rings true, and you actually don't know how to do it and aren't doing it, can you learn? Yes. It's actually something you can use provision to get. You can say, I need wisdom, I need instruction. How do I get it? I can get it. And if you need to know how to partner with the God of the universe, stick around. We're, we're going to do that over some, of the, so over some of the coming weeks. So let me pray for you, and we'll get out of here. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have made the world with principles. We thank you that you've made it sensible, that there's rain and harvest. There's sun and moon and stars that work in prescribed ways and we thank you that the economics of your kingdom are no different, that there are laws and principles that we can understand, that we can apply, and that you can bless. I ask that you will take these words and for each of us show us the thing we need to do, the progress we need to make to be more like you so that we can help in this quest to spread your abundance across the surface of this planet and the hearts of all of its people. Amen. Thank you for listening to The Pursuit Podcast. For more information about The Pursuit, visit us at thepursuitsoco.com.